It's the first Monday of the month, and we're responding to your questions on the monthly Q&A show. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 423. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. Once a month, we open up the show to respond to your questions. You can get your questions to us for consideration for a future episode by going over to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. I am joined, as I am almost every month, by Bonnie Stahoviak, who's going to help respond to questions. Hello, Bonnie. Welcome back. Hi, Dave. I'm so glad to be back with you today. I am too in our normal format. Last month, we stepped aside from the normal format and talked about being intentional about joy by saying no. I haven't even shared with you most of the messages that I've received back. It's inspired so many email conversations. So Thank you all of you for reaching out and and sharing with us that that was a helpful conversation. We'll do some more on that in the future and and enjoyed that a lot. I was also glad for the, I think a few people tweeted. So I saw a few pieces of feedback and it was just so nice to know that it resonated. You know, I I got done with it feeling super discouraged, (laughs) like, oh, wow, I don't know that this is going to be interesting to people. And I also was just embarrassing to admit some of that stuff. And so it was really a big relief to know that it resonated and helped people have more confidence in those kinds of decisions in their in their choices. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a similar experience, slightly different in that it was, I forget what sparked the idea for the show, but it was a bit of an afterthought for me. And we kind of put it together last minute. And Shh, I was, don't tell anyone. <laughs> don't tell anyone. <laughs> but I, I was pleasantly surprised like how much people found that useful. So let us know if there's things you'd like to hear from us in that vein again. We'd certainly be happy to do more of that. So all that said, let's jump into this month's questions, because we've gotten a bunch that have backed up since we didn't do the Q&A show last month. So our first question here is from Samantha. Samantha writes, I have an employee that has expressed that she is not willing to take direction from me. I've tried to accommodate her, but it is as though I'm walking on eggshells around her so she doesn't find another issue with my leadership. I'm wanting to have a one-on-one with her to discuss this issue, but since she has such a distaste for me, I'm fearing that it won't be productive and she will not be receptive to my feedback. I'm afraid that it may make the situation worse. I'm having trouble coming up with a way to handle the conversation without her becoming defensive or compromising my authority with her. I want everyone to walk away happy with the conversation. Samantha, thanks for sending this question. I'm sorry for the situation that you're running into this. So a couple things. The first thing is the last sentence you wrote to us. I want everyone to walk away happy with the conversation. You can't control that. What you can control is what you convey to her, how clear you are, your expectations, the framework of what she needs to do as part of her job and responsibility, what's required, what's optional, those kinds of things. You can't control how she feels. And my invitation to you would be to set that aside a bit of being mindful of how you can do those things. And we'll talk more about this in a minute of setting those expectations in a way that is kind to her, but also firm. But ultimately, even if you do that perfectly, she could 
be very disappointed with the conversation. And I would not want that to be your measure of success as a leader of how effectively you handled the situation because you can't control it. What you can control is the expectations you have and what you do going forward uh, to your question directly. So uh, one thing I'm curious about, and this is something that you can decide as you think about this, is what you mean by her not taking direction. So I'm curious if this is in the bucket of she's literally not doing her job and there are a whole bunch of things you need her to do as job requirements that are not happening. That is one situation. And then there's another situation potentially or some version of these two where she's doing what she needs to do, the bare minimum, she's meeting her core expectations, but she's not willing to really engage to be coached by you, to be challenged to go further, to maybe engage more in her professional development. If it's the latter, if it's the, you know, she's kind of doing the core stuff, but she's not really game for doing more beyond that. And she's not responded well to you wanting more for her than maybe she wants for herself. Then I have spent a lot of time over the years (laughs) trying to help people when I cared more about their professional development than they did. So if it's more in the category of she's doing the core things, but she doesn't want more than that, I would consider maybe just letting that be for now. I'm getting the sense from the tone of your question, it's probably not that, but just in case it is, I think that that's worth looking at. Now, if she's not taking direction from you, if she's not doing the core parts of her job, that is a, that's a fundamental problem in the employer-employee relationship, right? So she may have a difficult time for whatever reason with, with you and your leadership or your style, and I think you can acknowledge that she's conveyed that and be present to that. And at the same time, that's not going to change how you set expectations and her needing to do the core things she needs to do. So you still will need to be clear with her of, okay, I've heard you that you know there are times that you don't feel like you want to take direction. And here's the core responsibilities of the job. And I'm going to continue to hold you to those responsibilities. So let's talk about what those core responsibilities are and how we can help you to achieve those. And ultimately, then she needs to decide if she's going to do that or not. A really helpful framework for this that I love is the accountability dial from Jonathan Raymond. It's very helpful to kind of go through that five-step process that he defines. I'll link to it here in the notes of when you're trying to address an issue with accountability or non-performance of how you can walk through that in a very appropriate, but also a very clear way to address a a tough situation. So that may be a very good starting point for this. Samantha, I echo what Dave said and did just just want to reinforce a couple of things. He is so right about this dichotomy. And we, of course, can't tell that from your question, whether or not we're talking about just someone who doesn't want to just take feedback outside of the, the direct, like do this kinds of parts of being someone's manager, or is it more that they're not fundamentally performing the job? So if they're not fundamentally performing the job, what we're talking about here is insubordination. So if I were to read your message and someone says, I won't take direction from you, and they literally mean like on my job, then you write that up. You talk to HR, you let them know that they've said this to you and that you'd like to document it. And it's possible that if that part, if that sounds rings more true to you, that you're on the way to terminating this employee. There's there's no like changing someone's mind. When you're to that point, you're not going to go and change her mind and all of a sudden have her go. Now, you might change her behavior. 
you might teach her to not tell you that she's not willing to take direction from you. So, I mean, there can be a lot of passive aggressive stuff that comes as a result of it, but you may be very well headed down a path of terminating someone. And it is insubordination if somebody, you're, they report to you and they don't take your direction as it relates to their job, meeting the minimum requirements of the job. Nobody likes this. I have done it relatively few times in my career. I am thankful to be able to say, but I have done it. And there's all kinds of reasons why that may happen ultimately. And I, some of the people I was actually quite close with that I could have very transparent conversations with. And one, I can still remember one guy like, well, we could do this the hard way or we could do it the easy way. This job isn't a good fit for you anymore. And we were able to still remain friends, even though he went on to do other things. I mean, it's kind of like that, that's a weird exception to be able to have that kind of candor with another person. But anyway, I've done it lots of ways. I've done it where the person, you know, winds up like, I'm sure telling stories about me for like the rest of their career about their worst experience. I mean, we, we've done these things always. Um, of course, I don't want that to be the norm for me ever. And it never has been, but it has happened where we go the hard way through a situation like this. And Dave said lots of great things around how to do it if it's the other way. Sometimes, I mean, maybe this person could be turned around if it's just perhaps, I mean, sometimes when we get in leadership roles, we want to control things too much. And if someone is an excellent performer, they don't necessarily want you coming and telling them how to do their job. So that can be why some people have resistance, like what you're describing. If this person's a rock star at their job, I've had it in my career too, where you manage rock stars. I, like, it's, I can't think of a better way to say it. High performers, actually. It's a better, a more professional way of saying it. When you do that, they often come along with a lot of what I would best call quirks. And you kind of just have to learn how to manage rock stars and how, to, and how to do that well without demotivating them or just being like, get off my back, man. <laughs> I'm like, um, I'm really contributing. You're, you're not helping here. And sometimes as a leader, we have to learn how to do that because each person is different too. And I mean, it is tough. It is tough. Both Dave and I have had experiences where we just manage the tremendous performers who are incredibly gifted at what they do. But in my experience, I can say almost every time, possibly every time, there's just some baggage that comes along with that. So thank you so much for the note, though. You gave us a lot to think about, and we look forward to hearing how things turn out. Kathy sent us this question by audio. Here it is. Hi, I've enjoyed listening to your show recently, and I really am looking to enhance my leadership opportunities, etc. Right now, I'm currently a team lead. That also means I'm not a supervisor. I lead the work and not the people. And it puts me in a really weirdly precarious position. I wonder what kind of suggestions you have to help me be a leader without stepping on toes where we all actually report to the same supervisor. Hi, Kathy. Thank you so much for your question. The way that you asked it makes me perceive you as someone who's working likely in a very hierarchical environment. So when you use terms like team leads and supervisors, generally speaking, I can get a pretty good flavor of the kind of organization that you work in. And also, I certainly am not saying this to try to offend you at all, but just to lay out this model, you also seem to me like someone who's bought into that hierarchy. And I just want you to kind of, let's start this conversation by thinking about different kinds of organizations. Dave actually has had experience providing professional development for organizations that 
are incredibly complex. And they don't even really talk about like most of us think about org charts as this person reports to this person reports to this person. But it's instead a matrix organization. And it's very complex to ever tell anyone who doesn't work there how work gets done. (laughs) This is super, super complex. I remember he has a friend who I got to spend some time with years and years ago. And it would be like, First of all, they were working on national security stuff. They couldn't actually tell us exactly what they did, but also couldn't even talk about how the teams worked just because it was so complicated. So, well, rec- and didn't and didn't even know. <laughs> yes. So, recognize- you, if you asked him, like, who do you report to? Not trying to be shady about it, just like I- I'm not really sure. <laughs> Yeah. So recognize there's a whole spectrum of the ways that organizations can be structured. By the way, I'll give you one more example. So I gave you the extreme example of Dave's friend. And then let me back it up a little bit and say that where I work, I work in a university setting. So we do have an org chart, but it's really not hierarchical. A lot of it's kind of driven around entrepreneurship. So people that have real entrepreneurial spirits, there's a lot around academic freedom and faculty being able to sort of push the boundaries of their disciplines and what they choose to explore. And that's really good in their research and sometimes a little interesting to deal with from in terms of a traditional management function in an organization. So that's the first thing I just wanted to share is to open up your mind a little bit just about How much have you really wrapped that around in your mind? Sometimes that can be helpful because you understand how work gets accomplished and you know that really well. And then you probably don't step on other people's toes the way I might because I haven't really, I haven't spent a long time, if ever really, that I worked completely where those kinds of terms and where work really got done in a very hierarchical way, truly, that mapped to the org chart, if you will. And so I would probably want to both rebel against that if I were in your shoes, but also just would would mess up even if I wanted to embrace it. Like I would still mess up because I'd step on people's toes because I didn't really understand all the rules. So it can help you, Kathy. It can also really hurt you. So let's talk a little bit about how that could hurt you. Let's separate out the word leadership from management. You used the word leadership in saying, I want to develop my leadership. But really what it sounded like to me that you'd like to develop is ultimately your management, that you'd like to progress through the levels of management. That's helpful because I don't know, I, I think it's fun to have a lot more opportunities to influence where you're working and to have oversee people's work, not just how the work gets done. So I I celebrate that yearning that you have for moving up to a management position. But leadership, Kathy, you have leadership today. We all have the opportunity to lead and you've described exactly the kinds of fertile soil where leadership can take place. So I'd invite you to assume the leadership. You are a leader. Start playing around with that for yourself, seeing what that sounds like when you say it to yourself. You are a leader. And if I can explain a little bit more, what I mean by that is my own personal definition of leadership involves influencing people toward common goals. I recently, in at work, I'm on this cross-functional team. So there's people from something like, I don't even know, eight or so different departments, maybe 10 departments coming together. And we're working on this beast of a project and everything. And it isn't clear who the leader is, although I will tell you, I often take that role. 
And I've been asked to take that role. Like that just, just yesterday we had a meeting. They're like, ah, oh, this meeting's coming up. And, and can you steer around this? And can you do that? I was asked to step up a little bit because we only had an hour together and there were concerns that we wouldn't accomplish what we needed to. So I had people leaning on me to do that influence. The people in that room, one person reports to me. No one else in that room reports to me. And some people are at the same level of leadership that I am. But I just have that definition, influencing people toward common goals. And I also have seen other people in the room emerge as leaders, and it has nothing to do with where they might fall on the org chart. So some people might be three or four levels, quote unquote, below where I am on the org chart, but they're speaking up just as much as I am. They're pushing back on things. I had somebody push back on something with me around timing, and I loved it. I completely embraced it. So welcome, Kathy. You're a leader. (laughs) It can start right now. Again, I hope this doesn't sound condescending. Part of what I'm hearing and what you wrote is just that feeling of helplessness. And I'd love to invite you to feel a little bit more free to begin to continue even a little more pushing those boundaries and taking those risks and being a leader. And what you've described, Bonnie, is what we're seeing as far as the trends in organizations. It's so much more today about influence without authority. Many organizations, even the most traditional organizations, we're starting to see that, yeah, you may still have the formal hierarchy, and I report to this person, but so much more either in practice or formally, there's the dotted lines, there's the three or four different stakeholders, So this is a great skill for all of us to develop, not just for you, Kathy, but all of us to be thinking of how do we influence without authority to the point that Bonnie's made. I I wrote an article years ago on the coachingforleaders.com website called Influence Without Authority. It is still one of the, of all the things we've done over the last eight years, it's still one of the top hits on Google because people are searching for that so much. So you're definitely not alone. And we all have the ability to, to influence, like Bonnie said. And here would be, Another potential place to start as a beginning point is you could just show up and maybe talk to your manager if there's a formal hierarchy around it, but you could just show up and say, I'm going to help. I'm going to serve. I'm going to coach. I'm going to help people to learn. I'm guessing that if you're in the lead role, there's a reason you're in the lead role. Either you're the more experienced person or there's something else that has been identified that you bring to the organization that that adds in some additional value to that team. And I would just lean into that and say, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to be here to help people to learn and to grow. And I'm going to serve people. And I'm going to show up as a servant leader every day. And by the way, you get to do all that and not have all the mess that comes along with management of having to give people feedback and the problem situations that emerge. You don't have to deal with that, right? <laughs> Because that's someone else's job right now. If you show up and just help and serve and coach, and how do you help people learn? And if you know what they're doing of being that person that just helps people to get to where they're going, like Bonnie said, boy, what a what a wonderful place to start. And then you'll find your way as you go from there. So I hope this is helpful to you, Kathy. And thanks for taking the time to send in the question because a lot of us are thinking about this, this these days. This next question is from Amir. I'm getting promoted to the director level. My organization decided to remove my boss because of low performance, and now I'm stepping in. I anticipated facing a loyalty issue in the team since some members believe that they should have had the job. I have six months from management to determine if I'm being successful in this role. Is there anything you recommend for me? Amir, thanks for the question. Definitely have some recommendations. So first of all, a mindset of, I think, 
all of us should assume if we move into a role where we were peers with other people who were also being considered for the role, even maybe if they weren't formally considered for the role, I think we should go on the assumption that there's always going to be people that are going to be not happy that we're in the role for whatever reason. And I think Tom Henschel said this really beautifully on an episode we did a while back on how to manage former peers, which I'll link to in the notes. And one of the things he said is there's sort of this distribution curve, right? There's going to always be, well, I shouldn't say always, but often there's going to be a couple of people who are really excited that you're in the new role, right? And there's going to probably be a couple of people who really are not excited, who didn't get the job, who got passed over. And then there's almost certainly going to be a bunch of people in between. And that's just the normal distribution curve of how things show up. So Amir, I think you're right to think that and to know that that is just natural. It's normal. It's how things show up. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's where things stay. And one of the things that I love that Tom invited us to do, those of us who have been moved into a higher role and have managed folks before, is to sit down and have a conversation about that. I think most people don't have a conversation about that and just acknowledge that the relationship is changing. And if there are some tough feelings, like maybe acknowledge that or at least listen to those, uh, but then pretty quickly get to the work of what needs to be done. And in particular, with your situation, Amir, the fact that your previous boss got moved out of the role for non-performance, I'd want to get really clear of what the organization expects as far as performance. Not to rehash what happened with your boss, but be really clear of what are the metrics they want to see, what in the next six months are they going to be doing to really assess the performance of you and the team. And I'd get really, really clear on that for yourself and with the team and to paint a vision around that. And I'm going to link to an episode as well where it's a framework for really how to create a vision around that. One of the models that I love that has been presented here on the show over the years is the Four Disciplines of Execution by the folks at Franklin Covey. It's episode 294, which I'll link to as well. And they did a really beautiful job, Chris McChesney and his colleagues, of how do you keep things going in the organization, but also how do you focus on a very key metric you need to move and to get the team moving in that direction very quickly. So I think if you begin with some acknowledgement about the change, getting very clear on what the metrics need to be, setting a vision for the team, and then finding the right framework that's going to work going forward and four disciplines of execution may be one that would work for you. I think that gets you started along the path of moving the needle and not having people languish in the past too much, but moving forward on what's going to help them to perform as a team. Amir, I wanted to start out with what I hope it doesn't sound too hokey, but I just want to congratulate you. Because sometimes we forget to do that. But the first piece of advice I have for you is to take time to celebrate. My job's changing a little bit at work. And it's one of the things I'm reminding myself is to take that time to celebrate. Because we forget it sometimes. Because these things can be so messy. So that's my first piece of advice. And it's to myself too. <laughs> we got to take a little bit of time to celebrate in spite of the messiness, because you did a lot to get to where you are today. So congratulations. Two more things that are very much in line with what Dave said, this whole what does success look like? There's a wonderful book that's my favorite book about sales. And you might be wondering, why is she talking about sales? I'm not asking her about that. There's a book called Let's Get Real, But Let's Not Play by Mahan Khalsa. 
And he has a chapter in there that talks about the decision-making process that we as salespeople, but I encourage you, Amir, to think of yourself as an influencer. So salespeople attempt to influence people to purchase. In your case, you're influencing people toward navigating this change. And you're helping the people that you report to, these people that will be evaluating your progress, you're helping them have a more clear method for evaluating your performance than they would have otherwise had. So what Mahan Khalsa talks about in the book is just how dysfunctional our decision-making processes are in organizations, and that by asking a series of questions, we can help people articulate for themselves because they so often don't do it on their own. Human beings were really kind of not very rational decision makers. And you can see all kinds of bodies of research around that, whether it's consumer behavior, whether it's psychology. I mean, there's all kinds of fields where this is well established. You can help those executives better evaluate your progress through the questions that you ask. I mentioned that my job is changing as well. These are the kinds of conversations that I'm having, not necessarily because I'm at threat the way, and this is like, sounds like a terrible way, by the way, your, your director will tell you if you can stay that after six months. I mean, it doesn't sound like a great way to be brought into a position, but you can help them better set those parameters for you because they often won't do it on their own. So what does success look like? And then Dave also used the phrase naming it. So I encourage you to name the fact with them that this is a change and that oftentimes with these changes, people can feel threatened by a change in leadership. People can be upset that they've been working really hard to get into that. And that part of you asking what does success look like is to help us all stay focused on what's really going to be important in this change. So I encourage you to name it. You also can name it with that team as appropriate as, as it comes of like, just put it on the table that you know that that exists and not that you're going to not institute changes or not be a leader, but I just find it so much easier if we just name things and talk about them more openly. That's not in every case, by the way. We had a question earlier in this episode where I brought up the word insubordination. When and Whenever <laughs> the few times I've had to deal with that, that's not when you have open conversations <laughs> that are transparent. That's just when you document someone's performance issues, et cetera. But, but for the most part, it's very healthy to name things in organizations and name some of those difficulties. So we wish you the best in this change. And again, congratulations, Amir. All right, I think we've got time for one final question. This one is from Kelly. Kelly wrote in and said, I'm wondering if you could point me to a resource that deals with communicating to someone when their desired outcome is not going to happen because it is not a strategic priority. I work in the cultural nonprofit sector and run into this issue with our visitors and volunteers frequently. It usually comes as a suggestion that we invest time and money into a small side project improvement or what they think will be an improvement, which we're unable to do because we're working on items from our strategic plan that have bigger payoffs. Abani, what thoughts do you have for Kelly? Kelly, I was so excited to see your question because I understand from Dave, it actually happens to be perfect timing. So Dave, Sandy was on a recent episode. Oh, yes. Sandy Morgan was on the show last week, who's the director of the Global Center for Women and Justice. Sandy has talked about this a lot with me, both outside and then also Dave, she's been on your podcast before. And so one of the things that she is so gifted at is having right there 
a list of things that are like, here's what you can do. So she, she has this model where she is engaged in the fight against human trafficking. So you can't step a toe into that issue without being filled with anger and rage that such devastation is still happening in our world today, having your heart broken for those affected. But that's not where she leaves it. So right away, she has steps big and small that you can take. And not not just Sandy, by the way, but many of the organizations, if they have it figured out, they've already got that list. So it sounds like your organization is wonderful at drawing people in, at igniting their imagination, at having them think about and dream about with you about how to make your work extend even further. And what you might consider is how to help narrow their focus a bit into already defined areas where they can really contribute. And while you're not always able to do it, you can immediately direct them back to that. I'll tell you one other organization that's phenomenal at this. So it's out here in Southern California, we have working wardrobes. And working wardrobes is what is known as a social enterprise. So you can donate career-oriented clothing, and they both give those to their clientele who are in need of those services. But oftentimes, if it's too trendy of an item, you figure you're like, perfect pair of shoes that are super fancy, but are lime green. And that's not like a classic wardrobe to be able to gift to another person. They then have resale stores where they'll resell those. So they make the last I heard, I, I, I don't, I don't have accurate figures, but around 70% of their nonprofit is sustainable through this social enterprise. So what happens is you can get engaged from a very small way of donating your clothing. And you know that it's going to go through one of two purposes, either these resale stores, some of them are really trendy, chic boutiques too. And some of them are more, you know, your classic thrift shop or classic opportunities to, you know, grow your career wardrobe, or you know, it's going to one of their clients. And so it's a wonderful feeling, but not that much of a commitment, right? Because you're passing on this clothing item or So they already have it baked in. If you're going to donate, then they slowly start to say, hey, would you like to come to this event we're having where we're celebrating our service men and women? And so would you like to come? And here's the different jobs that you could do. I get you involved in one event. And then they have it all the way mapped out to where they actually have people acting as ambassadors for their organization. But you don't want to have someone as your ambassador who doesn't understand who you're about. So they have a whole escalating way that the nonprofit can engage people, very low commitments, donate clothes. Next, by the way, you could also have a box at your workplace and then bring that box into them. I mean, it's all kinds of ways to help engage people from the big and the small. But what you'll notice about what Sandy does and what you'll notice about what Working Wardrobes and so many others do is they've already thought about it in advance. And they start to build structures and ways that people can engage and build up their engagement. And and by the way, because you're talking about nonprofit, guess what also happens as people move up those ramps is also the checkbooks start coming out and increase donations because now I actually have some skin in the game and now I care even more so that tight fit, and obviously you know this, but I'm sharing it for other listeners, between when I'm engaged with an organization, I'm that much more likely to donate too. So sometimes the more you can come up with that are actually going to help your organization, but also are going to get them engaged, the more likely you are to also increase your, increase your donations. 
I love everything that Bonnie said, and I have nothing to add on that. I'm also going to take your question, Kelly, and broaden it a bit because I think this brings up a really good point for leaders and managers in general. I often get a related version of this question too, which is, you know, my employee or a colleague or someone is coming to me and saying, I have a really great idea and it is nowhere close to anything in the strategic plan, either for you or for the organization. And how do you appropriately respond to that person and say, basically, no, we can't do that? And I think the mistake that is often made by leaders in that situation is to directly address what's being suggested and to acknowledge it and to give an indication in some way of where that idea falls along the spectrum, right? I think the worst thing that we can often do in these cases is someone comes to us with a quote-unquote great idea that's not anywhere in the strategic plan and to not really respond at all and kind of just let it sit there. And then people are like, uh, so I suggested this and nothing happened with it. And I think in, in a lot of cases, that's worse in the long run by saying a very clear, kind, but clear, no, this doesn't fit right now. And having, obviously, the strategic plan in front of you and being able to talk to it is key. Having sometimes a place to say, hey, we'll put that on the list, or we'll consider this for next year, or here's where this may fit in the future. But if it doesn't fit, of clearly acknowledging it and also communicating that something doesn't fit is important because that way people know that they've been heard and they've been acknowledged. several related episodes to today's conversation. The first one is how to manage former peers with Tom Henschel. That was episode 257. I mentioned it earlier, and it is a situation that a lot of us find ourselves in in our careers of managing folks who we used to be peers with uh, for all kinds of different reasons. And yet, almost no training programs or books or anything really provide any advice on how to navigate that awkward situation a lot of us find ourselves in at various points. Episode 257 is an entire conversation about how to do that. Tom Henschel was my guest, and we go through some some good practical things that I mentioned in this episode, much more depth there, of course. Also, I'd recommend how to actually move numbers with Chris McChesney. That was episode number 294. In that episode, Chris and I talked about the framework from Franklin Covey, the four disciplines of execution that him and his co-authors have put out in the world. It's been a very popular model. And if you are finding there are numbers you need to move on right now um, in the midst of the chaos of everything else in the organization and the whirlwind of the normal stuff that's happening, that is a really helpful model to really get some traction on that. Episode 294 for all the details there. Also, I'd recommend The Path to Start Leading Your Team with John Pinheiro. That's episode 349. John was on the show a while back talking about his journey uh, as a listener to the show and also as a leader of taking over a new team and moving into a new level of leadership and how to show up and how to start uh, gets back to the question from Amir earlier of what to do in that situation and what are some of the key steps. And John talks in detail in episode 349 or what are the key steps he took, uh, how did he use some of the material from past episodes to build a good leadership plan and a vision uh, for him and his team. And he's had some tremendous success in being able to help his team to continue to sustain great results over the last couple of years. So thanks, John, for being a great example of that. Episode 349 is a good place to start there. And then finally, Bonnie and I mentioned last month's uh, what normally is a Q&A episode, Finding Joy Through Intentional Choices. Bonnie and I talked in detail about what do we say no to 
in our professional and personal lives so that we can say yes to the things that really matter. Episode 417 is that one. You can find all of these episodes on the coachingforleaders.com website uh, by activating your free membership. And when you do that, it's going to give you access to the entire library that's searchable by topic, uh, or you can search for the episodes with Bonnie in them and some of our other guests. There's so many different ways to uncover the information that's relevant to you right now. One of the other resources that's available within the free membership is my own personal library. As I find relevant articles for me, books, videos, audios, other uh, episodes on other folks' podcasts over the years, I've been databasing those. Many of those things show up in the weekly leadership guides that many of you receive, but I've got the full database there. Also, all of those are databased by topic. And so if you're showing up at your weekly staff meeting or maybe going to a customer visit and you're looking for the best article or resource or something uh, in uh, popular media that can help make the point you're trying to make, that's a really good starting point for resources. I've done the hard work for you of finding good stuff and categorizing it. So use my personal library as a starting point for that. It's one of the many benefits of the free membership on the website. Go over to coachingforleaders.com, set up your free membership. It also gives you access to the member cast all my book notes, the entire podcast archive, and the weekly leadership guide coming every Wednesday. Thank you so much as always for listening. We'll be back next month with the next Q&A show and see you next Monday for our next conversation on leadership. Have a great day, everyone. Take care.